Have you ever felt that Christmas doesn't quite live up to its marketing? Every year we come to this time and we've been told through all the different commercials and advertisements and media that this is Christmas and with Christmas comes a set of expectations that they are going to be filled these days with excitement, with families that just get along like clockwork. Where you never have an argument with your mother-in-law. Where the children behave perfectly always and no one ever throws up on their best clothes. Where, well, we do have a white Christmas. There you go. Sometimes they do fulfill at least some of our expectations. But my guess is that, for instance you probably cannot remember what gift you received last year. And so we come to Christmas with a set of expectations, but are they really met? Do they really fulfill what we're looking for? And where can we find the kind of fulfilled expectations that we would like to experience at Christmas? Isaiah chapter 60 we're looking at this morning and I'm just going to read the first couple of verses that we'll refer as we go through uh, the sermon uh, briefly this morning to some other parts of this chapter too and I'll explain it in context a little bit. But Isaiah chapter 60 has a message for us this Christmas and that message is the joy of Christmas will come from clarity about the Christ of Christmas. Let me read out for us those first two verses of chapter 60 of the book of Isaiah. They go like this. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Joy at Christmas comes from clarity about the Christ of Christmas. Isaiah gives us clarity about the story of Christ, the reason for Christ, and the choice that uh, we all must make about Christ. This uh, chapter is a story about Christ and his glory and how that glory is reflected in Christ's people. And this story of the glory of the Lord, which has risen upon you, is that which the angels told the shepherds at Jesus' birth when, you remember, they sang glory to God in the highest. But that story is also reflected glory in Christ's people, which has risen upon you. And that is fulfilled in the New Testament people of God. We who are Christians are a people 
who have had the glory of the Lord rise upon us. And because of that, we are now a people who, like the shepherds, go and tell others about this glory. We're on mission for the good news of God to the entire globe. We are people, we Christian people, for whom the glory of God has risen upon us. We now have a message, a good news, a story of the glory of God that we proclaim to the entire globe. It has risen upon us, this reflected glory of God. And that glory of uh, Christ is reflected in Christ's people, and that glory is finally fulfilled when Christ returns. So verse 19 of this chapter says the following, The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Well, where is such a promise fulfilled? And the Bible is very clear. It is fulfilled in the new heaven, the new earth, as Revelation, the book of Revelation puts puts it at the end of the Bible. This city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, picking up this language from Isaiah, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb, that is Jesus, is its lamp. It goes on, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, what that means is this. If you are a Christian here this morning, you are a part of the cosmic story of Christ's glory. Christ's glory that came at Jesus' birth has risen upon you. You now have a part to play in this story of the glory of God as you proclaim that gospel to the entire globe, to your neighbors, to your friends, and the surrounding city, and to the world at large. And there's a final fulfillment to this story in the city of God. Well, there'll be lights that comes not from the moon nor from the sun, but from the presence of Jesus himself. That is who we are as Christians. We are a part of this cosmic story of Christ's glory. And Isaiah wants us to be clear about that extraordinary heritage. You say, what is that true? Isaiah also gives us clarity about the reason for Christ. He says uh, that darkness shall cover the earth. And if you look through this chapter, there's this constant contrast between the glory that shines in Christ and is reflected on Christ's people, but the, the darkness all around in which this light is shining. And we, Isaiah is saying, also need to be clear about this contrast. And indeed, if we're not clear about this contrast, it is very unlikely that we will experience much joy. And I'm afraid many people these days are not clear about this contrast. The the darkness in which the light shines, that darkness is not something believed or accepted by many people today. For instance, in 2015, the Pew Research Center conducted a poll of religious belief among Christians. 
And it showed that two-thirds of Christians in America think that many different religions can lead to eternal life. It's an extraordinary statistic. I wonder whether it is entirely accurate, but at least a lot of Christians today do not think that it is only through Christ. They think that many religions can lead to eternal life. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that they think there is no final darkness outside of Christ. And, of course, in our theme this morning about joy, what that means is it is no wonder that they lack joy as Christians. And so how does that work? Well, let me illustrate it like this. Imagine you are walking along a country lane in the middle of nowhere, out in the countryside, you're in farmland, somewhere in the deep south of Illinois. And there are no street lights. There are no lights at all, no car lights. It's pitch black. You cannot see the hand in front of your face. You're stumbling around, unable to find your way home. You're a little bit scared. You're in dark. You don't, you don't want to twist your ankle. You're lost. There's no light. It is dark as dark could be. And then someone comes along with a flashlight. Oh, great. There's light. Now imagine instead that you're walking down uh, downtown Chicago, perhaps on the Magnificent Mile or some holiday area like that, and it's 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday, and there you are in downtown Chicago, and there are lights everywhere. The place is so brightly lit, it is almost like daylight. Amazing. And someone comes along with a flashlight. Would you like a flashlight? No, I don't want a flashlight. I can see perfectly. Thank you. It might even annoy you to be offered a a, a light. There are lights everywhere. If we do not think that there is any darkness outside of Christ, then, logically... We will think that the light of Christ is at best a nice idea or a pleasant piece of Christmas sentimentality. But the reason for Christ is that there is darkness outside of Christ. The reason for Christ is that Christ is the way to be saved. And if you are someone like uh, those people who were surveyed by the Pew Research Center, who yourself is wondering, in all this world of many different religions, can I really believe the light of Christmas is the unique light of Christ, the the sole and only way to be saved through Christ. Can I really believe it? Let me turn that on its head for you just a moment. If you say that there are many different ways to be saved, that there are many different religions, then what you're really doing is you're looking at the face of the baby Jesus in the manger and you are saying, unnecessary. Unnecessary. 
because there are many other ways that you could find eternal life. Unnecessary. And you're even looking at the cross of Christ and you're saying, not needed. And my guess is that if you're a Christian here this morning, you do not want to say that. Instead, you're very grateful that Jesus died for you. You're very grateful that Jesus came as a, as a baby and humbled himself to become obedient as a, as a man and even obedient to die on a cross. You're very grateful for that. And I want to underline for you that the reason for that gratitude is clarity about the darkness and then the light. Which, of course, then presents us with a choice. And the choice that is on offer this morning is joy at Christmas, but that joy at Christmas comes from Christ. Comes from Christ. And what I want to urge us to do this morning, what I want to urge you to do this morning, is to make a clear choice for Christ. And if you do, you will have the joy of Christ this Christmas. And Isaiah throughout this chapter is showing us joy of purpose, joy of glory, and joy of fulfillment. He shows us the joy of purpose. He tells us to arise, shine. It's, it's get up, come on, get excited, arise, shine. Uh, when I was a child, uh, my mother had a way of waking us up as children. And she would come into our bedroom and it would be early morning, it was a school's day, and every morning she would begin like this, arise and shine and give God glory, glory, glory. Arise and shine and give God glory, glory, soldier of the Lord. See, I remember it very well. Every morning she would sing that to us. Arise and shine and. It was a brilliant message. Those of, us, those of you who have heard our family sing will realize that the musical quality may not have been as brilliant as the message that it carried. But it is the right message for us. You, if you're a Christian, have this purpose. And Isaiah is saying, arise and shine and as you look forward to the new year, put aside petty ambitions, put aside small goals. You are a part of this, you are a part of this cosmic purpose of Christ and his kingdom throughout the whole globe, throughout all of eternity. Rise. And shine. This joy of purpose. But there's also this joy of glory. He tells us the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now who is this you? This you in this chapter is God's people. Each you and your is in the feminine singular form in the original. In other words, it's referring back to Zion, the mother city of God's people, that Isaiah is preaching about throughout this whole section. Uh, the city of the Lord, verse 14. A, a redeemer will come to Zion, uh, chapter 59, verse 20. This people of God in, in this New Testament fulfillment, this bride of Christ... This people, this community, this she, this us, this church. So there is a reflected glory that is now upon us. And it is not individual, it is corporate, it is gathered, it is 
a community, it is a church. Now Isaiah is not simply saying that if you share a joy with someone else, it will increase your joy. He's not simply encouraging community in a sort of, you know, let's get along together kind of way. He's not only saying that. He is saying that the purpose which gives us joy is in the glory of God's people, not God's individual. You say, well, I'm not sure I like that. Actually, I I, I quite like this individuality. I quite like having my own set of goals. I quite like organizing life around what I would like to do. And now you're telling me it's a a communal glory. But, But let me ask you this. Don't you want to be a part of something bigger? Don't you want to be a part of a movement? Don't you want to be a part of something that is beyond yourself? I think you do. All these um, strategies these days, this crowdfunding, these, these ways of being involved in something bigger to change the world, all these things that are indications of our desire to have an impact, to be a part of something significant, to not be solitary and solo. And what God is saying, there is a fulfillment to those desires, and that fulfillment is placed in the people of God communally in Bible study, in small groups, in adult communities, in worship together, that there is a glory that has risen upon us. Not just you singular, but us as a people, the city of God. Don't you want to be a part of that glory? Isaiah then also finally shows us the joy of fulfillment And throughout this chapter, Isaiah speaks of uh, various um, symbolic ways of uh, referencing this sort of fulfilled state. So he speaks of the wealth of nations coming to God's people. He speaks of gold and silver. And he also uses some other images of prosperity that worked better in ancient times than they do today, uh, probably, like A multitude of camels shall cover you. Doesn't sound like a blessing to me, but obviously it did to them. These are all images of finding fulfillment. And again, don't you sense that you were made for more? You want success, you want prosperity. You want to expand your borders, but don't you find that however much you earn, however well you do, it is never, 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 never enough. And why is that? The reason for that is you are made for fulfillment, but the joy of that fulfillment is only satisfying when it is connected to the purpose of Christ and the glory of Christ's people. So let me ask you this. Do you want to be fulfilled? If so, the joy of that fulfillment is on offer this morning. The joy of that purpose and the joy of that glory in Christ and in the reflected glory of Christ's people. So have you ever found that uh, your expectations about Christmas are not met? 
Joy in Christmas comes from clarity about Christ. And so this Christmas, may you not only have a merry Christmas, may you have a joy-filled Christmas because you're clear about Christ. Let's stand together and uh, I will pray and then we'll sing to close. Lord, we have a lot to uh, thank you for, and we also have a lot to tell others about. Now we are a part of this cosmic story of purpose and glory. And we do pray, Lord, that this Christmas we would experience true joy because we're clear about who Christ truly is. In the name of Jesus. Amen.